Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. We have a full house today. We've got Marilyn. Hey, guys. And we've got Elliot back. Yay. Hey, guys. Hey, Marilyn. Hey, Jesse. <laughs> Good to have you back. Thanks. Um, we have a, you know, a, a scratchy faced, slightly red eyed <laughs> hair sticking up Elliot back for this topic which is perfect because today we're going to talk about the, um, the whirlwind of 2020 and into 2021 and how it's been, I don't know, a, a 28 month year somehow. And, um, and yeah, you know, Elliot's, he's looking a little frazzled. So Elliot, what's going on, man? How you doing? How, how the, the last two years been for you? Uh, I'm coming up on about to have 13 days of not talking to athletes and making hopefully very few decisions. And I think, um, the big takeaway, I, we've talked about the pandemic multiple times because it's everybody's life. Um, and early on, I kind of felt like I was crushing. And by early, I mean like the first year plus, uh, and most of being a coach is helping people avoid making bad decisions. And I feel like, obviously I'm not perfect, perfect at that, but I was doing a pretty good job for a really long time for a lot of athletes. And I don't think I'm doing a bad job now, but I think I've come to the point where I've had to make so many decisions where a coach's job is already to make so many decisions where I'm like literally having decision fatigue, where it's just like, there's, you know, like the pool schedule still won't have a normal schedule and whatever name your city and throw in four moves mid pandemic, one of which was across a border. And then, um, obviously my girlfriend's been racing super well. She's ranked 29th in the world. Shout out Erica Ackerland. Um, yeah. Eighth in the world series rankings, which is, she got to do two races. Most people only did one, but still we'll take it. Eighth in the world's kind of cool. And, um, yeah, I don't know if you guys knew that anyways. Um, it's a lot of decisions and there's a lot of moving parts and it's been really rough. And I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are just kind of like on that decision fatigue and how you're handling that. And, or if, if you have that at all, and, and also just your kind of thoughts on how do we avoid um, bad decisions in the pandemic? Cause I don't feel like it's the same as, as usual or pre pandemic. Can you, um, can you just give me like a, a small example for maybe people that are struggling with that idea of like, how do you help people avoid bad decisions? And like, what, how has that been like so much harder in the recent past? So an easy example would be in, in normal life. Um, you're going to do eight hundreds on the track. What pace are you going to do them at? And what's your rest and how many are you going to do? Right. And you might say, I can do 12 of these at, let's just say this person's running six minute pace. I could do 12 of these. My body is capable of doing that. I can do them at three minute pace and I'm going to do them on a minute rest. Um, but maybe the stimulus you actually need is you only need nine or 10 of them. And maybe you could do them at three Oh five and you'd still take that minute rest and you can walk away and you'll, your body will be less beat up. But at the end of the day, you're going to get basically the same stimulus without being beat up. Right. And then having the courage to say, you don't have to go all out on that workout and totally kill yourself and do the max version. You're going to do like a cut down version. And those goalposts are constantly changing for each athlete. So that'd be a normal 
how do you avoid a bad decision, right? Or somebody say, I could do this at 255 in this, in this made up scenario. And then saying, no, let's temper back and go a little bit slower, but we're just going to keep doing that. And then it's going to show up again the next week. And then eventually you're going faster than you ever thought, but feeling like you're holding back, right? That's most, most of a coach's job. But another, uh, a more complex version of that would be, I just had my last race canceled and my next race and the race after that. And now I have to choose from one of four races, none of which is in a location I want to go to and none of which really works great in my timeline, but I really want to race. And you never would have chose any of those four races to begin with. How are you supposed to make the right choice? You already made the right choice three times and now they're making you do it a fourth time and they're not giving you any options that work. And then you have to just, you're jamming a square peg into a round hole. Right. So yeah, I think I that's like sum it up for me. So it's like these, these global decisions, which usually happen say once a year, usually around this time, right. You're season planning for the next year and you can say, okay, like, let's take a look and what makes sense for the entire year. What are these races you want to put in place? How is the season season going to flow? What works with their strengths and weaknesses and where you want to go to. And you have that, that session once with an athlete, and then you guys are good for, you know, eight months, 12 months, something like that. But now this is becoming like a weekly conversation with a lot of athletes, because like you said, everything keeps changing on the fly. And like, what are you going to do? Um, I mean, I know personally, that's been the hardest thing for me over the last two years where I feel like I spent 2020 completely doing it wrong, where I was moderately fit all year, just in case. And I never like took a big break. I never focused on any one thing. Like I could have I'm going to ride my bike really hard and get really good at that or something. But instead I just treaded water for a year and, and then didn't get to race anyways. And then rolled it into 2021 where I kind of started doing the same thing. And then, you know, as of recently, it's been the, um, the, the Ironman roller coaster of, of like, Oh, they added Chattanooga four weeks before it was supposed to like actually occur. So I'd like panic train in four weeks for a race. And then, and then California still stayed on the schedule. So I was like, okay, I'm decently fit. I'll train for California, but then that got canceled. I'm going to cut in real quick. Yeah. You're going to panic train for an Ironman, which generally speaking, when you say as the coach, what's a bad decision. And my job is to avoid bad decisions. Why would you ever panic train for an Ironman? This is the only reason, right? So it's like the pandemic is forcing you in because you didn't even make a bad decision. Your choice was don't race or race. And you had to panic train to do it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, Ironman, Ironman set us up to, to make poor decisions as athletes or as coaches, because those are the only decisions that were left, which kind of is like echoing what you were saying. Sure. Um, Marilyn, how are you? <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening very carefully. And the reason I'm listening carefully is because I think, you know, one opportunity that we've gotten from these challenges are we get stuck in a way of approaching certain races or even our programming or development of our athletes. And I think when these, when these things come up, we're forced into trying different things and something that's new. And you probably learned a lot about what works for you in terms of getting as fast as you possibly need to be on a start line. that was different than any other years before by, you know, you said you tried this philosophy of like floating a certain amount of fitness and then just, you know, heading to a race and you're like, oh, okay. For me as an athlete, 
that doesn't work very well. I need a really specific build for a certain number of weeks where I prep, sharpen, race, and then go and race. So you learn that about yourself as an athlete through this experience. Another athlete, it's actually a pretty common um, way to program for some people that works where they just simply do float around that 80, 85% for let's say 20 weeks in a row. And then they maybe do only a three week. Yeah. And then, I mean, Jesse just did a like gun to his head, like boom. And I, but I've seen a lot of athletes do that where for 20 weeks of the year, they float right around the same weekly repetitive, um, volume and, and like fitness level. And then they just sharpen up for about three to four weeks and head to a race. And then they, they head to like a series of races or they're adaptable about what races they're going to. And then they go back to that again. And, and I've seen some really top athletes do that now for them, that works for another athlete. Like you said, what you learned about yourself in terms of programming and coming into peak form and fitness for yourself is that philosophy didn't work. You tried it for a full year. Didn't, you didn't see any improvements. You started your 2021 season like that. Didn't see any improvements. Didn't race that well off it. So what you learned was, Hey, for me at this stage in my career, I need a specific target and I need actual, you know, periodization and progressive stimuli to be able to race at my best. So I think, you know, it's just, it's given us opportunities as coaches to figure out what different athletes respond to what different types of programming and to also step back and say, Hey, like I've always done it this way. I'm being forced into a different way to try things and what works and what doesn't, you know? And, and I think like racing or like sessions as athletes, when we do them, we learn by successes and failures. If you've got like five athletes that you're trying one thing with and they all race better than they ever have in this last, you know, two years, then you, then you learn something new about them. And maybe you've got like that. It's like anything. If you've got 12 athletes going to one race, maybe 10 of them go great. And two of them are going to flop and you got to figure out like, okay, what happened to those two? So uh, I, I guess as I'm listening to you, those are the first things that come to mind for me. Yeah. I think for myself and for for the athletes I coach as well, it is that, that mental and physical combination, right? It's like maybe physically doing that kind of training could work out really well for me, but like mentally I can't handle that. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of pairing the two. And I've seen, I mean, I know athlete or Elliot is talking about kind of like that, that mental crack. And I feel like that's kind of what happened to me as an athlete, but yeah, definitely had that, that juggle with training and then what is the right thing for an athlete to do like mentally. And, and I think even like the pool situation, which Elliot touched on earlier is, um, has been hard mentally and physically, right. Cause you're going to show up in an Ironman. You'd be like, well, the longest swim you did was three and a half K. Cause that's all you had pool access for. So like, you gotta be like, just know the back of the swim is going to hurt more. You gotta be like, okay, I'm not ready. And for that this. affects the whole race. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's been a different, like there's been these different mental shifts, like, when you zoom in and zoom out that have been a challenge for, for coaches and athletes. Um, I don't know where I was going that, but I just, this is kind of how I feel. It's been like, like mentally draining. So Jesse, you're an athlete and a coach, um, and you're, you're racing at a high level and I'm just coaching it. And I know one, an issue for me is I'm really hard on myself on making the, the best possible decision. And so I'm curious from like the athlete perspective, and maybe I should start asking this to more of my athletes, like how much are you beating yourself up on like 
knowing going into the race, it's not the right lead in. And does, is that part of like, just because you're aware of how you used to do it? Like, are you holding on to how you used to do it? And maybe like, that's not allowing you to make the change to go, um, into a new direction. And like, that might have to be the new norm. And is that kind of scary or, or are you just like, no, I'm going to do it my own way. Uh, I think it's, it kind of just affects the race plan and race execution. Uh, I know that in races, let's say two years ago, I knew how much wiggle room I had and I had considerably more than I've had at races this year because I knew I, I could like play around a little bit on the bike and I'd still be okay. And I could ride a little harder and I'd still be okay. But this year I feel like I haven't had the big build that I would need in order to do that. So it's just like, okay, I've got to like tighten up those parameters. I've got to be a little smarter. I've got to back off on power or like on the swim. I like, I know I haven't had the depth of, in my swim training. So I know that I need to be mentally focused, especially the back half and the start of the swim. Cause I'm not as sharp as I used to be where like, I can just float in the group and we're not even talking about like the Florida swim, but like in a normal swim setting. Um, so, so yeah, I think just having a different plan given the fitness that I have given the training blocks that I've been able to put together. And that's really the same conversation I've been having with my athletes is like, well, what's the situation you're actually in and how do you get the most out of that fitness with your race execution, which is, I feel like it's not actually any different than a normal conversation, but like you said, you just know that like you haven't had the timeline that you might've had in the past. And that can be like a little bit of a mind issue. Um, <laughs> so so uh yeah just trying this to get so crazy just the mind <laughs> issue well what i what i think i think a good insight for people to hear is like perfect example is you go you drive out to california right you're all ready to race you feel really good about this being like the last race of your season you're totally geared up for it you've geared your family up for it you're training your mind everything you take a long drive out to california weather shits the bed you turn around drive home you're like great and I remember you even getting in touch with me right after that race and saying like, man, I just don't know if mentally I have it in me to just, they've given us a spot to Florida, but I got to just like, it's not, you weren't even worried about the race or your fitness, but it was, I got to pack up my bike again. I've got to organize my family again. I've got to organize accommodation and a flight and, and all of that. So I think that's been like the biggest thing that people have had to adjust to emotionally and even mentally is that, you know, you think on most people, they plan for an Ironman, they've got it, they've booked hotels, time off work, organize their families, flights, you know, all of this energy. So even outside of training and then Ironman just goes and goes, just kidding, we're going to change the date or like, we can't do it here, or now you can move it to this place or that place. And so it's kind of like, you can only hear that so many times before you get pretty tired. So how do we turn that into like, okay, how do we do this in a way that feels more positive or are we just, are we wasting our time waiting for it to go back to the way it was? And do we need to learn how to progress forward with the way it is now? And just, and yes. just really understand that. Right. I mean, I don't think that, I think it's going to settle in a lot more, but I think it's going to continue to get better. But in a lot of ways, I think some of these changes are permanent. So I think continuing to wait for it to go back to the way it was is, 
is really just like looking backwards, right? It's, it's not going yeah. to go that way. Yeah. So, so how so, do we, so how do we as, and like you talked about Elliot, you're like, oh, I'm just really, you know, I, I need a 13 day break. I mean, us as coaches are used to planning a season and also having a break. And we've, we had to be like really on it through the pandemic. Cause that's when people really needed us. And then we mm-hmm. had to switch it on even one step higher to get everybody ready to race. And for most coaches, nobody's had a break for two years. So aside yeah. from athletes, coaches haven't had a break in probably the longest period of time of anyone. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe we won't be to that extreme, but how do we schedule in ways for us to continue to grow as coaches and feel revived and continue to be a positive influence in our, in our athletes' lives with the way it is now? It's, this is the way it is now, you know? So I guess one thing I, I did get a little bit of a primer. So in 2019, pre-pandemic for you, those of you losing track of the years like me, it's 2021 right now. And, um, Erica got sick seven, seven times that year, had a bunch of colds and, and she races, you know, on the world triathlon circuit. So she, you know, she's racing all over the world. Literally there's a bunch of time zone changes and she was getting sick and it turns out she had allergies. And once we solved that, it took us a whole year to figure out exactly what she was allergic to. And then once we solved that, she's been super healthy and hasn't gotten sick. But that year alone was just this crazy stress of, she didn't know where she could go to. She didn't know if she'd get funding to it. And she didn't know if she was going to be healthy for it. And so you're just like trying to piecemeal day to day together. So then going into 2020, we had like this pretty good idea of how to do short course. It's like, okay, we can do like what I think of as the Rob De Costella. I've probably brought him up on the podcast before. Australian guy, really fast runner look them up. Um, I'm going to butcher the decade, but let's just say the seventies, uh, really good insight on training into the idea you were talking about earlier, Marilyn, where he's like just repeating more or less the same week. And it changes a little bit, but it's just like over and over and over. And, um, I think you can do that with, you know, sprints and Olympics, and you can do that where the athlete continually progresses through the year and from year to year. And you just make these small tweaks throughout the year, but you're just kind of like more or less on the grind. But if you're going to do that, you have to find ways to build in mini breaks. And so like what you realize a lot of these like world triathlon athletes do is they don't take a break per se after every race, but if they go to a place with a cool location or a place where they know somebody, they all of a sudden have two days off in this awesome place. That's kind of like a vacation, which for most people, they'd have to fly halfway across the world to get to. They're already there to do their job. They steal those two days, like reboot way more than your average person would. And then they carry on. And I think that's a great idea. However, a lot of people listening to this podcast are doing half Ironmans and Ironmans. And you, I think the emotional investment into an Ironman is really high. So like, I love that idea of trying to say, we don't actually know when you're going to race an Ironman. We're going to like, just kind of like make sure you're fit and then make sure that you are three, four, five weeks away from being ready. So like what Jesse had to do at Chattanooga, is that about accurate, Jesse? Yeah. Um, and that all sounds great to me. The part that I'm personally having trouble with as a coach is how do you help that person emotionally not know when they have to get up for like eight to 12, 13, 14 hours of insanely high focus. 
right? And like, how do you get ready for that emotionally? I think physically, I'm to the point where I have a pretty good idea of how I want to tackle 2022 for a lot of people, but it's the emotional part that I think is a harder question. Right. I think it's interesting too, like in even saying that is that, you know, sports continue to get faster this year. It's faster than it's ever been. Right. Eric just did a race where Lucy Charles got out of the water in sixth. Yeah. I mean, across the board, long course, you know, half Ironman, Ironman, short course through all of this and all of these conversations and all of this adaptability and adversity and unknown, there is a really, really deep lesson to be learned in there that we are still sort of like trying to weed through because this, it would be one thing if the sport just took a tumble backwards over the last (laughs) year, right? Like if all of a sudden the times were like, Oh man, I mean, we are just getting like, it was obvious that the pandemic and the changes of races and the way things have gone has made the sport suffer quite a lot, but it hasn't. I mean, it is smoking fast. Right. And I mean, some of the times Jesse at Chattanooga, you were like, I don't know how these guys went. The top three guys went that fast across that course. So people are struggling and people are um, sort of digging through the weeds on how to put all this together. But the sport's getting faster. So I think it's going to be our job to figure out what parts of this have allowed for the sport to get faster. And what opportunities it's opened up by sort of throw, basically, you know, throwing everything into complete disarray of what we're used to. That's not necessarily always a bad thing, right? It's like it's forced some people to really come to the front and shine and, 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 and some people to fall apart and crumble. I mean, you know, that's um, so it's, it's, you know, I think that that's something to really look at as well. Well, I, I'm just as you're talking. Um one of the things I think like when I'm looking through a lot of the training of the, I follow the Norwegian national team quite a bit and Jesse just got to race Gustav. Nice guy. Right. Um, and they like, they're obviously have been training for Tokyo Olympics, but if you kind of like look at their training, they're not actually, they like they, sure they peak before a race. They're just constantly grinding. And I think like, that's a mindset that like Eric has kind of taken to as well. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do races. I'm always going to do races, but the focus is like even more so on the process. And then just like taking just enough mental rest that maybe they can jump into it. And maybe that's who's just going to be most successful at the sport. And the sport's always been very competitive and it's always been growing, growing, growing from the, the early days. Right. Um, there's very few people you meet in the sport who aren't just extremely competitive, competitive and, and committed. And so maybe that's the next step. It's like, you don't train for a goal. You just train to like, be as good as you can at swim, bike, run. Um, I don't know. I'm literally just spitballing. Cause that popped in my head after you said that Marilyn. One thing that I've kind of noticed is that there is this, this hole in, in the middle where, yeah, the top four or five guys are going crazy fast. And I think they have, you know, that team around them, that's allowing them to do the right thing, stay focused and stay focused on, you know, racing. Maybe they're like, okay, we're going to do a fall Ironman. So we know that. And whether it's California or Florida or Cozumel, we know we're going to be ready around the same time. So we're just kind of gearing up for the fall. 
and you know, they got this team, people around them that are kind of allowing them to work towards this goal. And then they go really fast. And then, I mean, the reason why I've been able to go top 10 in the last couple of races is not because I'm super fit at the moment. It's because there's a hole in the middle where people like, you know, my speed ish are like, Oh, we're scrambling to try to get to races and scrambling to figure out what to do and how to get where and how to put all this stuff together. So I think that the top has gotten really fast, but then there is like this, this missing piece in the middle where, um, I mean, it, I'm happy it's, it's worked out well for me, but I see a lot of like my peers kind of like struggling and myself included on how to make, how to make everything work and, and put the pieces together appropriately. What do you think that missing piece is? Like, as we kind of walk through, walk through this, like, what is that? Like, if you had to bullet point, like top three things that are making it feel like those words, like scrambled, um, sort of in the middle, not able to excel. What is like, if you had to put your thumb on it. So I think it's, it's everything that we've kind of been talking about where it's, it is a big emotional investment to get ready for an Ironman. And for people, like for a lot of people, it's an emotional investment for, for you and the people around you. And like, I mean, my situation is not that I have a team of athletes or a team of people working around me. Like you look at the Norwegian athletes and they're traveling with people, they've got coaches and they've got kind of people around them kind of helping them through that process. And then you've got, you know, age group athletes or, you know, like whatever glorified or professional athletes like me who are still doing all these other things like, you know, raising a family. And, and so that, that emotional strain on not knowing when to race I think takes a different toll when it's on your village and your village isn't there to like isolate you from that. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that kind of differentiation make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you're, you're saying like, if you came in with a massive support network in a lot of ways, everything that's been happening is kind of to your advantage. Right. I mean, and maybe that's why I'm burnt out because I'm not the athlete. I'm the support network for the person who's excelling. (laughs) um erica don't listen to this but uh (laughs) but i mean like yeah that's that's a good point um and and i mean a lot of that's probably on me on like you know like managing self-care but i still think it's just Mm -hmm. like it ultimately comes down to like do you still have good options or not and the bigger your team is the more options you tend to have in terms of how to solve a problem so then that makes like that decision fatigue of like Oh, I don't have any good options to choose from. You're like, Oh, I still have a couple because I have such a big team. And then that just makes life easy. And I do think everything we're learning about sports science and aerodynamics and in Florida's case, uh, how to draft off of all of the motorcycles there, you know, like that's going to make a pretty huge difference. Iron man, if you're listening to this, uh, get a new camera crew. Um, but yeah, I do. I want to switch to like the, the positive takeaways from all this, but, but I will say just to like case in point is that like Marilyn, you were asking me about like after California and I was like, I don't know if I can get ready. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm not at all friends with Gustav, but I do follow him on Strava just cause it's, it's fun to see what he's up to. Um, and he was able to just catch a flight from Sacramento straight to Panama city, like the, the next day or something. And then he had two weeks of being in one place, getting ready for the next race. Whereas, you know, guys like John and I are kind of driving across the country, trying to piece together a little bit of training, trying to find flights and then get ourselves over there, which is just, it's a very different two weeks. Um, and 
I mean, I'm, you know, so that that's kind of that one of those missing pieces, I would say. So maybe is is the takeaway that for 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 the athlete listening here who's who's not a full time professional at the highest level because you're a full you're a professional and you're not at the highest level and it's still a hurdle. Maybe you do a bunch of shorter races when they pop up for fun as training and you do less high investment races and you just say, I'm only going to get a couple chances. I'll make the most of them and I'm going to carry it over and get my experience with really low levels and just kind of like swing the ball to the court of I'm going to race super seriously twice this year and I'm going to do local low stress stuff as often as possible, but like more just for training because that's kind of the best way to skin this cat. Actually, I, I don't agree with that. Sorry. I'm going to like be like the, no, you I should. Cause I'm just it. like thinking. Yeah, it so I, I look at that and I think these guys are trying to do this as professionals and you've only got, you've got to get out there and race. Right. And you've got to at some point lay down some results because as a professional, that's the only thing that matters is like, what are your results? Right. And so if you're running around doing a whole bunch of little races, um, that's fine. I was talking about non-professionals. I was talking about amateurs. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking specifically like professionals. So like they, you, you need to get out there and race. And it's like, I can understand where Jesse's coming from. It's like, okay, well, I was geared up for Sacramento and I'm, I'm meant to be there and race. And now this is canceled. I'm not going to just like go home and do a bunch of local races or whatever. Maybe the decision might've been, okay, that's my season. That's the way it worked out. I'll take, I'll gear up knowing how I build fitness and how I perform best gear up for the next one in a block of time that I assume there's going to be some kind of big race, or you could just say, screw it. I'm fit right now. I got to go out and I just got to keep swinging the bat because this is what's presented in front of me. And I'm a professional and that's what I have to do. I can remember when I was racing professionally, there was a lot of races I went to where I wasn't necessarily at my best or at my fittest, or it wasn't the most opportune time, but like I needed to make a dollar. I needed to pay my bills. I needed to pay my rent. So I'd go to a race and just race because I had to, and I needed to possibly maybe win some money, maybe not. And so just depend how it worked out that day, you know? And so, um, I think it's, it's tough, you know, I'm, I'm not saying there's like one totally right or wrong, but I think the most important thing you can really learn from it all is specifically if you're look, if reflecting how, if it is about results, how are you going to set yourself up to get the best result from yourself instead of just being like caught in the same pattern? It's like, okay, what you learn through this is you really do need, as you talked about when your best races are, is you have these big builds where you have lots of wiggle room and you know your fitness level really well. If you're that type of athlete, then you're going to know like maybe that approach is sort of that Ironman's throwing at you where you're, you know, running from one race to the next, isn't going to work. You just got to accept. I got to, I had my one shot. I got to pull the pin and then wait for the next one where it makes the most sense. And then when I'm there, it's all, all go like all eggs are in that basket. And there is no like, well, maybe I'll take a swing here. Maybe I'll take a swing there. Maybe I'll take a swing there. It's like, which is understandable when you're, when you're chasing that kind of thing. And and I'm not just talking about professionals. I had amateurs contacting me after Sacramento going, can you tell me how I can get an entry into Arizona? Can you tell me how I could maybe, do you have any connections here? Do you have any contacts there? They're scrambling to get start lines anywhere to use the fitness that they've built and to take advantage of the support in that timeframe that they've gotten from their family and their work and all of that. And it's like, 
okay, for one athlete that might really work and they still get a great result because they hold on to fitness really well, or they're able to do that. And then you can say, yeah, that works for me. I know that as an athlete. So you've learned that about yourself. I'm that athlete. Or if you're like, Hey, that's not, and something gets canceled. It's like, okay, I'm going to draw it right back. I'm going to take, take my time off, deload my fitness, pick my next block of time when I'm going to be fit and build up to that. I don't know. I kind of got off on a tangent there, but, um, I got, no, I got excited when you said that and I got all excited. <laughs> no, no, I, I do think athletes, you know, you learned a lot about what you respond to as an athlete. And I do think you learn how a lot of people learned this year, how to be more adaptable. And maybe that, like that Ironman build that you think you need is not exactly what you need. You can probably get away with a little bit less and you can kind of adapt to what is being thrown at you. And, and I think, yeah, like the, the training that, that dream training that we all want to have going into a race maybe isn't like as necessary and maybe, yeah, we we've kind of adapted what we need to do to get ready because we had to, but I think we've learned like, you know, you know, like coaching athletes that are in the same situation where they jumped into a race four weeks out, it's like, Oh, well, this isn't normally what we would do, but Hey, we did this four week build. We did this panic build and you got 95% of the way there. Like, maybe that changes that 12 week build we thought we needed when we can get 95% in four weeks. That's pretty good. Um, so yeah, I think it did kind of teach some adaptability and hopefully people can carry that forward. And I, I do think, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but like, we don't know what the race schedule is going to look like and how much it's going to change. But if someone does say like, I need this big build, then we can say, okay, well, like let's have you do a July race or and say, well, we're going to start getting ready and we don't know what race it's going to be, but we'll get you ready to race really well, you know, in that July ish timeframe. And like, we're going to start now and, um, maybe not now, now, but, but, you know, like you can kind of like, you can kind of say like, listen, we don't know what the calendar is going to look like, but you'll probably be able to race in July. So let's get you ready for a July. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's not a target race anymore, but like some target times to be fit. Yeah. And I think for the coaches out there that are, you know, like I said, I, and, and Elliot was talking about at the beginning, because we had to be, um, really, really on our game through the pandemic. It wasn't like some people through the pandemic got extra, all of a sudden they had all this time off because they weren't working anymore. I mean, we had to, we had to like be creative, step it up, invest a lot of emotional energy into every single athlete. We were the leaning post for a lot of people. So that was, you know, very, that, that pushed a lot of people. Right. And then to have to, like I say, ramp it up another notch, like, okay, well now it's go time, it's race time. And, and a lot of us haven't had any time off. Is there an opportunity for us as coaches to figure out how to be um, more efficient with our energy, better communicators with our athletes, more, you know, it, it gave us a chance to decide really what's important to us in our program and is everything in line? I actually went through that process myself. I hired someone from the outside to take a look at like everything that was going well, everything that I felt like wasn't going well. And how do we, where I want it to go? What's that look like? What's mismatched and how do we actually get there? Because I need in that, I was feeling that exactly what you're feeling, Elliot, where it's like, I'm like, man, this has just been a steady stream of like screaming down a hallway for months. And I'm like, I needed someone to actually come in and, and give me that revitalized energy from my standpoint and say like, where's the regroup? Where's the, um, refocus? Where am I doing? Well, like all of that stuff, where's some new ideas, some new energy, you know, that helped me, you know, 
put some new things on paper and bring some new things to my team and create that. So is it an opportunity for coaches to start to reflect on their program? Like where, where are the holes and where am I maybe wasting energy that could be streamlined? And, and so that I have that energy over an extended period of time. I think, yeah, that's a very good point. And one thing, so like I keep saying it, but like a big goal is for me is to make no bad decisions. And I think the biggest thing that the pandemic has taught me is I like, I have literally stayed up way too late fussing over training plans where there's no, every decision is a bad decision. And like, I basically just need to get to the point where it's say, you're writing that training plan. You take a deep breath. You say, there are no good answers. They're only bad answers. So I just need to do the least bad answer. And like that used to basically be for like years, I would just say that's not acceptable. I just have to think of something different or think of a new way. And there's just been a lot of situations where there's all bad decisions and you just have to go with the least bad decision. And like that, I just have to get okay with that. And I think like a lot of my athletes are way better at being okay with that. And they're like, yeah, I get it. This is not perfect, but we're going to carry on and do that. And, and Jesse, like, it seems like maybe you're like, as an athlete, a little bit more like me where you're not that happy about it, but you're like, well, at the end of the day, I still got to go race and I'm going to go hard and that's going to be fine. Um, and that's really how it should be because life's not perfect. Right. So I know personally, like that's something. I need to just get okay with, but I think that's also probably a big thing, um, as a whole going forward for this next year. Like we don't probably even want to spend any time making the perfect race schedule. Whereas before I used to spend a lot of time building out this like perfect race schedule year. And it's now it's like, well, let's more find out systems of like, what's the best way for you to take an unexpected fun break that kind of like reboost you. And maybe we need to spend more energy on finding like um, creative ways to have rest, uh, whether that's like for mental or physical, like obviously training is very physical, um, and then build that into, and maybe the time that we spent focusing on planning your next year is getting more into the weeds with each individual athlete onto like, how do we, how do we like short notice change gears and make that the least stressful possible. And that's something like until the pandemic, I never really thought about because it was always an option to be pretty darn good. And, and now it's not. So one thing that's like, um, super important to me as a coach and as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And when I watch other athletes is we've heard of the, the, the phrase and the saying of the one percenters, right? There's yeah. like, there's the, the people who can come out and all of a sudden they do in races, what you never see in training right? You're like, holy man, where did that come from? And so one thing that I think is important that I, that I try and teach the athletes I coach is how to become a one percenter, even if they're not. And so some of them, some generational wealth, some people are naturally one percenters and some people, they, I, I believe that they can learn it right? You're hilarious. Whatever. I just rolled right over that. I, uh, so I think that that's something that one thing I say to my athletes a lot, actually in the last, as they're getting closer to the races is, Hey, hold that last poker card close to your chest. You know, let's save the best thing for race day. I don't want to see this in training right now. It's too close to the race. I want to only see it on race day. And so I think, you know, when you were talking about like the burnout of that, everything needing to be perfect, 
I actually really encourage, I'm like, it's okay if it's just a little bit off. Like if someone's fussing over like 30 seconds here or there, or like the workout wasn't perfect or it's 10 minutes different, or they rolled around the parking lot to make up one more mile. I'm like, are you kidding me? Stop doing that. Like, no, don't do that. Like, I'm like, you're just going to burn yourself out. And so for me, I'm like, let a lot of stuff roll off your back. As long as you're getting 80, my old coach, Scott used to say all the time. He's like, as long as you're getting 85% of it done, 90% of the time and go a hundred percent on race day, you're going to get it right. And, and that was like, that's a lesson I like to carry over because it's like the people who are going a hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then they want a hundred, they, of course they're going to get burned out. If someone comes to me, Oh, I missed 30 seconds here. Or I was too, you know, 12 minutes off my five hour ride. I'm like, I don't care where you got out, you know, like that's fine because what matters is that we stack together weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months. And now we're going to go out and then you're going to save that best card for race day, whenever that is. And then I want to see you light it up and fire it up. I don't want to see that every single day in training. And, um, I feel like I, I, I learned that really well. And I'm a little like that even most of the time I'll roll around town and I'm just like, oh, whatever. I let that go. I didn't dig that hard. And they're like, man, you don't. And then race day, I'm like, okay, well now it matters, you know, now it matters. Yeah. And so if you well, I guess the reason I'm telling you this story is one of the tips I could say, as far as avoiding some of the burnout in these extended periods of time, where we feel like it's a, a lot of preparation over a long period of time is, you know, don't sweat the small stuff so much, you know, and really just like, it's like, when, when you can figure out those little rules and apply them over a long period of time, I think in the end, you're going to be one of those one percenters. And I guess I'm, I'm just passionate about teaching people how to do that. You know, I think that that's like an important lesson just in life too, you know? Sure. And I think that's what the, I guess I've preached all of that too. I've always said 95. I've never dipped as low as 85%. Um, but 90 is always like the word. And I always say like, you know, like there's only a handful of people I've ever coached who are consistently above 95%. And every single one of them has, has placed top 10 at one of the most competitive races in the world. It's just not a thing you see, right? Yeah. Um, and if you're hitting that 90, 85% mark, Yeah. And then personally though, I'm just like, well, I want that framework to be at a hundred percent. So if the athlete is at 85%, it's still freaking good. Right. And that's where I, but like, you're right. Like at the end of the day, you just kind of need to get over yourself, whether you're a coach or an athlete and be like, Hey, this is pretty good. Um, it's not perfect. And that's all it takes. And if you try to be perfect, a lot of times, especially in this scenario, it's almost like trying to be perfect is going to hurt you even more in the coming years. And maybe that's the takeaway of like this whole podcast is like next year, let's not try to be perfect. Let's just try to be pretty good a lot. Yeah. And then when it matters, then, then it's go time. Right. Yeah. And and maybe like, and recognize when it matters, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. One of the big things I'm hearing too, is like that mental investment. Like, yeah, you need to like take your training seriously, but you don't need to be mentally all into every workout. Right. And mm-hmm. you need to save that mental energy for when you actually, you know, like you need to race. And, and so, yeah, I, I think being able to let people say, let go mentally, like even, even on workouts where people are like, you're talking about like worrying about these little things where it's like, well, you're trying to hold Ironman power and you're 10 Watts off and you're coming home and you're so angry about it. It's like, no, 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 no. That's a, that's a wrong use of your mental energy. Like go ride, like what feels like Ironman power, you know, whatever workout it is and get pretty close and do that consistently over time. 
And then when it's time to race, that's when it's time to get really mentally invested. Or maybe a few of those workouts, like we're talking about, like three or four weeks before when we say, oh, we've got to go race in three or four weeks. You sharpen up a little bit. You turn on that mental switch a little bit higher. You get really engaged and, and then it's go time. But being okay with being 85% or being 90% or 92% for Elliot. And then, um, and then being ready, being ready to say, I can flip that switch because I'm not digging that deep for most of the time, but I can, when I need to. Yeah. Well said. What other positives do we have? What other really good takeaways have we like seen in our athletes that people can take away for this next race season where maybe we'll have a little more leeway, but with, with like knowing races will be there, but maybe there'll still be some curveballs. I think like a big positive is a lot of people who wanted to do adventures, but didn't give themselves the space, gave themselves the self, the space to do adventures. Um, cause I, 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 there's a fair amount of people I've encouraged to like do a bit more adventurous training, if you will, in that, not the four weeks before the race. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like, no, I just want to do the thing, you know, like I want to, I want to go hike up that mountain, but you know, it's too close to the race. So I'll just stay as specific as possible. Um, and then, co- and then the pandemic basically gave them a space to test that out. And they're like, oh, Hey, that actually worked really well wait, I could do that like five weeks before a race and like be having a blast. And like, they already enjoyed training, but then it just like turned it up a level even more. And then they kind of came to this conclusion. Oh, like this can be like really fun. Almost all the time. Like there's always a bit of grind, like grinding your teeth when you're really getting down to it. But it was just kind of like, it turned the fun factor from like almost always type two to like it's type one and type two. Um, and I think that's a really cool thing. And I think that's something you should shoot for, like, no matter what level you're at, like that you want it to be fun. So the more often we can make it fun, um, the better. Yeah. I'd say, I would say the number one thing I saw across the board in, in my program with my people is that the, um, value and the amount of progression people made being forced into consistency. So because they had no race calendar and they didn't know when they were going to race, they, they were forced to get away from those. This is my race block. This is when I rest. This is my time off. This is, you know, and all of a sudden they were like, Oh, I had to string together 18 months of training and be pretty fit all year. And all of a sudden they were at a completely new level and they really saw the improvements and that steady, that steady improvement over an extended period of time because they had, they were forced into it. It was like, well, I've, I've got to just keep going all the time because if I don't, then I might not be fit for this race. And then that race would go away. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, I've been consistently training or I've been, you know, running injury free, making good decisions about holding back or whatever, and just being consistent for 18 months. And all of a sudden I'm running 30 minutes faster than I ever thought I would, because I've just been running every single day for, you know, 18 months or whatever. So it's just like finding that value and consistency because they were forced into it has been, I've seen improvement across the board. That's that's awesome. When athletes can actually like internalize that, that's like what we all know. Right. But when an athlete can come back and say, Hey, like, look what happened when I did this. It's like, oh, that light bulb. It's, uh, it's, it's great to see. Jesse. I was just listening. Sorry. I wasn't thinking about things to say there. Um, 
I'm the teacher. <laughs> um, cool. I don't have anything good to add. But you no, guys I, think, I think we covered. Well, I think we mostly covered. It. Yeah, uh-huh. I think I think the big thing is is like a lot of people are starting to wrap up their year. Um, I was actually just going through this with an athlete right now. You know, they got one more race on the calendar, and then we're, we're looking at you know next year and all that. And I was starting to map out you know the the weeks backwards from their A race, and I was like, wow, there really isn't like a whole lot of time in between when things end and when they start going again. And I think you know, the, the realization is that's, that's how it is. And, um, you know, continue to plan, continue to figure out what works well for each person. Um, and, and then just, you know, keep being adaptable with that. And I think if you can, if you can roll with that, you're going to keep being pretty successful with, with this, you know, agreed. Awesome. I thought that was great. We did it. I yeah. think we did the thing. Fun conversation. I got kind of heated a couple of times. Thanks for listening to that. Oh, <laughs> I got, I got dude, all excited. <laughs> a little bit of spice never hurt anybody. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's fun. Yeah, that was good. Have a good awesome. evening. Yeah, thank you, guys. Bye. Bye.